Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we come with our hearts full this morning after reflection and consideration and wonder and rejoicing and glorying in the Christ, the Savior who has come. And so we come this morning and we rejoice in hope because we have hope. We have a hope that does not fade and it does not diminish with days or with perhaps passing trends. But our hope is in the risen and the living Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we come indeed this morning with great hope, a fixed hope on the real person of Christ. And so help us, help us this morning to see that there is no other foundation but Jesus Christ the Lord. May we see that if there is anything and there's any other area of our lives, if we're putting our hope in that or this or whatever it may be, may we see that the only sure and the only true hope is Christ. And so right now, Lord, we pray that you would work and prepare, even as you have been preparing us to hear your word. And so we pray for your help. We pray that you give us grace that right now as we go before you and your word, you know us, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our lives, you know it all. And may we simply come right now and lift up our lives to you that we may know Christ and we may make him known. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, chapter 3. We'll be in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. Now, of course, if you don't know it yet, this is Easter Sunday. <laughs> now, I'm not sure what you'll be doing after this, so after this service. Maybe you'll go home and, you know, eat a big dinner, go home with your family or friends or whatever you may be doing. Or maybe you'll go out to eat or something else. But what if when you got home or you went out to eat, you were told, all right, I know there's a whole lot of food before you or whatever, but you can only have half of everything. You can't have any holes of any food that you ha- we have here. Only halves. No holes. Now, of course, you would be like, you might be like, well, okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of strange. But sure, you know, I'll go with that. You know, I mean, your house, you know, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, whatever's going on here, I'll, I'll follow that. Now, what if, though, it, it went further than after this service, where people, you know, everywhere started telling you 
You can only have half, half of everything. So only half a house. Is that good? <laughs> you know, half a building, half a sanctuary, <laughs> you know, half a car, you know, half a book, half a paycheck. Would you like it then? <laughs> no, right? Half the story, half the game. You're not going to find out how it ends. Sorry. Half the movie. Half a college education. Half a night of rest. Or half a life, perhaps. Now, of course, that would be, on many levels, just for all of us, unacceptable, right? I mean, that would be no good. We don't want half of any of those things, right? I mean, just give me half a house. I just want to live until I'm 30 years old, you know? After that, let me die, you know? I mean, we, we don't, we're not like that, right? We want the whole thing. Give me the whole thing. Not part of it, not half of it. Yet could it be that though we certainly aren't wanting to live our lives like that, could it be that we really, in the end, are living like that? Now, not with all of those things, but with the things of God, with the church, with godliness with Christ. You know, I'll take half of all those please and no more. How many of us right now, that is our life. Just half, please. Just give me half of the Bible, you know, the New Testament, not the Old Testament, where it's all, you know, all the cobwebs and everything else are building up there. I don't want that. I want the New Testament. You know, give me half of God. You know, I like His love. It is pretty incredible. But you can keep all that stuff about holiness, justice, God's wrath, all that stuff. Keep to yourself, please. You know, give me half of the church building but don't give me any of the people. <laughs> I'll do fine without them. Give me half of Christianity, you know, where I can go about my days kind of tipping my hat to the Bible or Christianity or Jesus and then go about my day. Give me half of Jesus, you know, all the peace with God without the taking up of the cross. Well, friends, today and every day and throughout all of time and history, haves is not what God is after. He is not about half of your heart. He's not after part of your life. He is after all of it. He wants everything about you. He wants the whole He wants you. He wants your heart. 
And so what is needed for that? Well, it certainly isn't. Give me half of the truth. Give me half of Christ. But it must, and it can only be the whole. And so here, in our passage this morning, we are being called to just that. To embrace, not kind of part of the truth, but to embrace the whole truth that God has given Not to embrace half of Christ, but to embrace Christ completely, all of Him, everything. And so let's see that here then, beginning with verse 14. May God's Spirit do a work in our hearts at the reading of His Word this morning. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So here, with these few verses, we have a small part of this letter that Paul was writing to his dear brother in the Lord, Timothy. And so he is writing here to instruct Timothy on caring for Christ's church. And more specifically, he is writing to encourage Timothy and the church of Ephesus through Timothy that the gospel in everything is to be central. And so up to this point, he's been giving instruction. And you can just turn back in your Bible and see this for yourself. But he's been giving instruction on false teachers He's been giving instruction on prayer, on overseers, and who in, who in the world are those? Well, essentially, overseers, you could put a slash, slash, pastor, slash, elders, an instruction on deacons as well, and that brings us then to our verses here in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. And Paul, he is intent that Timothy would bring the whole gospel to bear over all of these things. Over Christ's church, from false teachers to leaders to godliness to widows to money to fighting the good fight of the faith. He lifts up Christ in it all. Pastors, deacons, lift up Christ. So all these things, he is saying, Timothy, as you are caring for Christ's church, let Christ be exalted. And so we come to these verses. And so here, he makes clear first 
that the church matters. The church matters. Now here we find some massive descriptions. We don't, what you won't see here and what you don't see here is you don't see a half-hearted kind of half-baked view of the church here. You know, kind of a, a take it or leave it sort of view of the church. What we see is we see incredibly, or maybe not so incredibly, but incredibly, <laughs> is that the church is the church of the living God. The church is the church of the living God. And so you don't get the impression here that the church is really just one big joke, you know. It's just, it's just about, you know, uh, entertaining you. It's just about, you know, like, let's just have a good time while we're here and then we'll go home, you know. You don't, you don't get that impression from this kind of sense, this whole heart that Paul has throughout all of his letters when it comes to Christ, when it comes to God, when it comes to the church, you do not get the impression that the church is unimportant. He says in verse 15 that he is writing so Timothy may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So no, the church is not unimportant. God, he has formed it and he has made the church and it is his. It's not man-made. It's not something we kind of came up with on the fly, you know. Wouldn't this be interesting, you know, if we just did this every Sunday? The church is in his hands. It belongs to God. And it is not, the church, it's not a what. Like a building. It's a who. (laughs) And that who is not everyone. It's those specifically who know God. Ponder that. They know God through Jesus Christ. And so if you know Christ this morning, that is you. You know God. Incredible. So ponder that. Ponder the truth that you know the living God. The one who made everything. The vast, incredible universe that displays His glory to the most minute of molecules that is infinitely and incredibly complex, maybe not infinitely, but incredibly complex, that displays His glory. And so like I said here, there are some massive descriptions here that Paul is giving us. And that was the first one. The second The church is built upon and is to stand upon the truth. The church is built upon and it is to stand upon the truth. 
So it says in verse 15 that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, of course, good Bible students here, we would ask, what truth might that be? You know? Half-truths? Is that what this is talking about, you know? Is this talking about half of the truth? Well, I think, you know, honestly, if we're just honest, even perhaps as we were as we began this kind of sermon, and even hopefully as I prayed, you just said, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I'm just going to lay it all out before you. I think that some may perhaps look at church that way. You know, I only want half of the foundation. You know, don't give me the whole of it, you know. Give me half of the house, not, not, not like true truth. I don't want capital T truth, stuff like that. Just your truth, my truth, truth that fits me. That's, that's what I want, you know. I like the cultural air that I breathe when I leave here. That the stories, the movies that I see that say it's all about your truth and the shows and the news and the articles and the arguments and the debates and everything else that all say your truth, my truth, I love that. And it may be that you're here this morning and that is where you are. Now, if that's right, Concerning here what Paul is saying, then those half pillars and half buttresses are built on half a foundation, if that's what the church is. If it's half, it is not worth standing on. Hear me, it is not worth dying for. It is not worth a cross if it is a half truth. And that is not at all what Paul is saying here. He is not talking about half-truths. The church, it is not built on half-pillars. It is not a place where you can come and hear flimsy, kind of like cotton candy truths. But we come here for the whole thing. We come for God. Not an imaginary God, not a made-up God, not a God that I would make with my own two hands, but we come for the living God. And we come for His Word. We come to know Him and to make Him known. And so we are about and we want true, capital T, truth. Don't give me all that half stuff. Don't give me my, your true stuff. That's just a lie. It's true until someone else comes up to you and says, well, that's not my truth. So we are about the true truth. Truth that is not abound to the minds and the imaginations of men, but truth that is God-given, that is spirit inspired the gospel God's revelation of himself 
And Paul is saying here, church, see this. Be about the capital T truth. And so in hearing all of these things this morning, before God, unashamedly, be what you are, church. Unashamedly, be what you are, church. If you know Christ this morning, you are part of the body of Christ. And incredibly, wonder at it, you know God. You're His church. You're not half a child of God. You are wholly His child. You don't have half the truth. He has given all we need for life and for godliness. And this truth, it is for your life. It's for the sinner. It's for the person who is struggling. It's for that broken person, the one who can't figure out, like, why am I like this? Why is the world like this? Why am I struggling so much? It's for those who are losing heart. If you are losing heart today, the truth is for you. It is for those who are growing weary. Are you weary today? Well, this is for you. It is for this real real world with this stuff God has made this world and it is his world and he calls you to believe to believe trust in the God who sought after you who sent his only son to make you his He knows all of those things about you here this morning. He knows your struggling heart. He knows that you keep going back to those things that keep letting you down again and again. He knows all those things. And he calls you not to look to half-truths or half-foundations Or to someone who says, that's my truth or your truth, but he's calling you to look to the truth this morning. And so church, be what God says you are. You have the truth of the living God. So in Christ, you are the church of the living God. So do not be ashamed of the gospel once for all handed down to the saints. That this Easter morning as you leave, for you who know Jesus Christ this morning, you go out and you proclaim to the world what God has said, what God has done, that we worship the true and the living God, the risen Savior. And so that's one. That's the first thing we see here that Paul is lifting up for us to see is that the church matters. And then second, see that godliness matters. Godliness matters. 
Now Paul, he defines here what he means. So what he means by that, by truth, pillar and buttress of the truth. And so he says in verse 16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And mystery is something that was once hidden, but now is revealed. And so he is setting before us what is to define and what defines godliness, what defines the truth that we are to stand upon. And what do we find here? Do we find halves? Half a house, half a car, half the truth? No. We see the truth is that we need the whole Christ. The truth is we need the whole Christ. True godliness is only found and is only disclosed in the whole Christ. We don't just need one part or piece of Christ. We don't need half of Jesus. We need all of him. We need the whole Christ. From birth to ascension, we need him. Fully God, fully man. Now it might be that some might say here, and maybe you, oh, we don't really need all of that, you know? I heard somewhere that love wins. I think we just need love, you know? (laughs) If we just do that, we just have love, that is enough, you know? Or maybe they say all of this, you know, talk about Jesus is not needed. You know, we just need to see his example, you know? I mean, all across perhaps the United States, even the world right now, there are pastors who are saying, oh, don't worry about the resurrection. I mean, don't, don't worry about whether that really or didn't, really did happen or didn't happen. Don't worry about any of that. What it's about is about you rising to be who you're called to be. And that is absolutely false. That is a lie, and if you have heard that or if you have been in a church that has preached that, that is false. You talk about false teachers back in chapter 1 that Paul is confronting. Well, those are them. No, we need, we need the real Christ. We need him in full because we are not dealing with tales here on this Easter morning. We're not dealing with nice stories, but we're dealing with the truth and with the real Christ, the one who is right now standing at the right hand of the throne of the Father, and he knows every single one of you. We're dealing with him who came as a lamb, but will return as a lion.
There are not two Jesuses, only one. Don't believe the lie that you can form and make him into your liking or that half of Jesus is just fine. Paul, he cuts through all of that as people around us say, no, 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 just give me the half Jesus, the fully man, not fully God, the one who doesn't do miracles, the one who didn't rise, you know, that, give me that one. Paul, he cuts through all of those lies, those deceptions, those disfigurements of the truth, and he says that we need not those half Jesuses, but we need this Jesus. Why? Because this is the only Jesus who is, and it is the only Jesus who saves. There is no other one. There's not a Mormon Jesus. There's not a Jehovah Witness Jesus. There's only Jesus. We need the incarnate, risen, victorious, heralded, believed, and ascended Christ. And that's what we see here. So let's look at each one of these. First, we need the incarnate Christ. Paul says he was manifested in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. The Son took on flesh, and He came, and He dwelt among us on earth, just as much as you are sitting there. Now, you will never understand that unless you understand something about you and me. You see, we are not okay. (laughs) I am not okay. In fact, we are just a bunch of dead men and women walking around. And if we're honest, you know this too. You know in your heart that something is drastically wrong. You have felt the guilt. You have felt the shame. You have felt the brokenness. You have felt the meaninglessness that this world and its philosophies, its religions, its arguments, its politics gives. And so the answer must not and cannot come from this world. It must come from the one who made the world. All of that, that brokenness, that guilt, that shame that you feel is because of this. Because we have sinned against God. And when we did that, something happened. At that moment, we were instantly separated from God and we became spiritually dead you have a physical heartbeat well at that moment your spiritual heartbeat ended and you were dead 
And so from then on, from Adam and Eve onward, every single person born into this world, they are born dead spiritually. That's what's going on in you. That's why you cannot find what you're looking for in this world. Because you weren't made for this world. You were made for God. And so what do we do? We go and we, we love and we live for and we worship stuff, we worship pleasure, we worship work, we worship religion, we worship self, we worship sin. So what then did God do? Has he left you there? Is that the end of the story? What did he do for those who will never, ever seek him on their own unless he seeks after them first? This is what he did. He sent his one and only son into the world to save you. He made the way you can never make because you're dead. You don't have life. It's been said the hardest step for a dead person is any step at all, right? We need a Savior. And so God in love, in grace, in mercy came. Jesus came to save and he is the Savior, and it is him that we need. And so that's one. The incarnate Christ, and second, we need the risen Christ. Paul says, vindicated by the Spirit. Now Jesus, he lived perfectly. He lived the life that you and I could absolutely never live. He never sinned. He never even sinned, not even once, not in thought, not in mind, not in deed. Everything He did, He did to please God the Father. And what did we do to Him? We hated Him. We killed Him. We nailed Him to the cross. But that's not the main question, is it? The main question isn't what we did to him. The question is, what did he do? By going to the cross, by coming, as he gave himself for us, he died for our sin, for your sin, for my sin, and he paid for it all. He became the offering for your crimes against the living God. He died. He was buried. And yet, that is not all. He was vindicated. He rose from the dead. 
by the Spirit of God to declare before everyone that He is the Savior of the world. As Romans 1.4 says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we need the incarnate, risen Christ. And third, we need the victorious Christ. He was seen by angels. And so the angels, they were there, and they saw all this happen. I mean, I mean they're, they're standing, I'm sure how they're just sitting there wondering and standing in awe of all that God is doing. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, these people, they rebelled and sinned against God, and He sends Himself. He sends the Son to take on flesh and die for them. Incredible! Yet the point that Paul is making here goes beyond that as well. This salvation, his salvation gave a cosmic declaration saying, see everyone, angels, demons, rulers, kings, presidents, see one and all that victory and life have come and they have come in Christ. As Paul says in Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So we need Him. And fourth, we need the heralded Christ. The heralded Christ. And so this very morning testifies to this. Since he arose, he has not ceased to be proclaimed among the nations, nor will he be. Though tyrants, though dictators, though persecutions, though crosses come, we will preach Christ. Amen. And he is being preached. And this very morning, See and glory at this, that those who were dead are now alive and are now proclaiming Him as Lord and Savior. And why am I doing that? Why are you doing that? Because you and I forever need the whole Christ. Fifth. We need the believed Christ. As he is heralded, people believe. Now, why is that? I mean, is it because good salesmanship? You know? Man, I really persuaded that person. You know? Look at me go. You know? Is, is that why? Is that why someone becomes 
a believer in Jesus? Is that why I became a believer in Jesus? No. It's not what won you, and it's not what won me. It was God. It was God. What happened is he pierced through the darkness of my sinful dead heart, and he showed me the preciousness, the sweetness, the beauty, the glory of Christ. And by grace, I gladly came running to him. Save me, Lord. There is nothing better than you. I consider everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is why he received him. Because of God. Because it's true. Because God is the one who brings life to dead sinners. Even now. And then lastly, we need the ascended Christ. Paul writes, taken up in glory. And he is there now. He ascended into heaven, not because he's afraid, not because he's defeated, but because he is Lord over all. And that same Lord who lives right now will come again. And is this Christ we need not halves, not part of him. We need all of him. And so this morning, ask yourself, Have you received the whole Christ? Have you received the whole Christ? Again, we do not want, and may you not want half you, may you want the whole. And so we must begin with this question. Now you might say to this, well, I have religion. I have Buddha. I have Muhammad. I have the myriads of God of gods of Hinduism. Let me tell you, that is not Christ. Not one of those will save you. Because they're all idolatry. Or maybe you're, you say to yourself, I have, well, I have community. You know, I have the church. I have a Bible study that I go to. That is not Christ. Those will not save you. Well, you might say then, well, I don't need the church. You know, I have my own personal relationship with Jesus all on my own. I don't need this. This gathering, all this stuff, I don't need that. I have Jesus all by myself. Well, friend, that's not Christ either. And if you know Christ, you would know that's not Christ. Because those who know Christ 
Don't forsake the body of Christ. What does John say? These are the antichrists in the world. They went out from us because they were never really and truly of us. So if you're saying that, you need to ask the question, have you received the whole Christ? So hear me here. Do you know him? Not back years ago when you came forward, but do you know him right now? Right now. He is the one who came to save you, and he is calling you to believe in him, to look by faith to Christ this morning, and then at that moment, when you put your faith in him, you will know the wonder. You will know the sweetness. You will know the joy. You will know the life, not in a half sort of half-baked Christ, but you will know all those things in the whole Christ, the living Christ, him who is risen and is living right now. What would be sad this Easter morning is if you go away from this service and you say, you know, that sure was nice. It was, it was really nice, you know. I, it was all just really nice. I really enjoyed that, you know. It was good. And then you go about your day. No thought of these things. No thought of the fact that Jesus knows you. No thought of the fact that do you know him? Well, friend, if that's true, this service was not nice. If you go away from here not knowing Jesus Christ, that's not nice. And it's, it's no threat. I'm not up here like, you know, oh man, you better come or I'm going to punch you in the face. I mean, that's not it. I'm pleading with you. We are not dealing with some fake abstract God that we've made up. What does it say in the Word of God? Is it a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God? Why? Because it is. And so do not leave here without considering yourself today. Do you know Him? And then second, ask, will your life and godliness be shaped by the risen, victorious, and ascended Christ? God is not calling us and you and me to a half-baked sort of mangled Christianity. He is calling you to the whole thing. He's not calling you to a position of safety. If you know Jesus, that's not safe. (laughs) I mean, the devil, you are being marked out by the devil. And when Jesus says, follow me, what does he say to take up? The cross. Is that a couch cushion? No. (laughs) The most terrible imagery you 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 can think of. It's an electric chair. That's what he wants you to take up. 
So he's not calling you to a position of safety, but to a cross. And so may we embrace these things, these truths, with all our hearts because they are true. Give him your whole heart this morning. If he is holy, your Lord, wholly follow him. Stop playing games. If he is true, and he is. If he is good, and he is. If he is risen, and he is. If he is Lord, and he is. What then is holding us back? Who then do we need to fear? How then ought Christ to shape not half our lives, but all of it? And so, this Easter, may we confess, truly believe, and rejoice in the whole truth of the whole Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning, this Easter morning, as we respond to your word, you know all of our hearts, you know all of our lives, you know what we're thinking, you know perhaps that even now we think all of this is just a bunch of foolishness. Oh Lord, we pray that right now you would do your work in our hearts to see that these things, they are true, and that we would believe them. And that we would give all of ourselves to you. And so this morning that may mean that someone here at their pew, at the pew or at these steps, that they would come and give their life to Christ. Saying, Lord, save me a sinner. So that may be what you need to do this morning. Or perhaps you're, you're hearing all this and you're saying, I have not been living this way. I, I know you, Lord, but I've been, been living a half-baked sort of Christianity. And I just give you all of it. I give you all my life. I, I, I confess and repent. And I love you. Or maybe you're here and the Lord is convicting you that you have need to follow him and obey the Lord in believer's baptism. But as we come and we sing here, may each of us come before the Lord. Not before those around us, but before him. And may we seek his face. In Jesus' name, amen.